I love that bumper video. Thank you, John. Uh, well, good morning, West Bowles. My name is David Perez. I'm the youth director here at the church. And before we get started this morning, um, I actually just want to take some time to pray over um, the community in Highlands Ranch um, because of the events that happened this, this past week. So I'm going to pray for that in the sermon, and then we'll jump into it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity for us to get together as a West Bowles family, Lord God, and worship um, and hear your word, Lord. Right now, we just pray for the community in Highlands Ranch. Lord, we just pray that you bring healing and restoration, Lord God. We pray that you be there with those who are mourning and struggling with this loss, Lord, with this tragedy. Lord, we pray that your church be a light in the middle of this darkness. Lord, I pray for the sermon this morning. I pray that you speak through me and that it may not be my words but yours. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we've all had days that we want to go perfect. Um, adults, if you have a big presentation at work or a meeting with the boss, you want that day to go perfect. Kids, if you've got a big test or a project you've been working on for weeks, you want that day to go perfect. Surgeons, doctors, if you're going into surgery... Okay, you want that surgery to go perfect. Actually, if you're the patient, I think you want that day to go perfect. <laughs> Nonetheless, we have those days, and I think the day that we want to go the most perfect is our wedding day. Now, I just got married about eight and a half months ago. Um, my beautiful wife was playing guitar over here. She's right down in front. Um, yeah, it's been a it's, get. I remember the buildup to that day and how much goes into planning that. And so you want everything to be flawless. And so we get to the day of our wedding. It's been, it was eight months of planning. And uh, everything's looking like it's set up. My, my father-in-law, John, and his buddy, Kevin, and our families, and everyone had put so much time and energy into setting up our wedding out here on the field. And it looked spectacular. And so... We had made these perfect plans and spent time trying to make it the perfect day, and we get to the day of, and it looks like it's going to rain. And so we're kind of panicking. We're freaking out. It starts to rain a little bit, but then it stops. The clouds clear, and so we get there, and everything's working out wonderfully. I get down there. I'm standing next to Nathan. He, he officiated our wedding. My groomsmen walk down with the bridesmaids, and everyone's in place, and it's all so beautiful. And then I see my gorgeous bride walking down the aisle, and here she comes, and she looks perfect. And so we, we get there on the wedding day, and Nathan gives a perfect sermon. And then we get to what I think is probably the, the part of the wedding day that you want to get the most perfect, and that's the vows. Some of you don't know why they're laughing. You'll find out in a second. <laughs> so I write these vows. Okay, and the vows are important because it, it, it's a summation of the entire time of your relationship. You really want to summarize what this person's meant to you, and then you want to make some promises for the future. And so I, I take my time to write these vows, and I mean, I wrote these amazing vows, so much so that I get through, part of the way through them, and the entire audience is just crying because they're so beautiful, they're so perfect. Okay, and, and yeah. So I get towards the end of my vows, and you gotta remember, I'm nervous, so I've got them on cards, and I get to the last line. <clears throat> my last line is supposed to read this. Grace Madeleine Burns. 
I can't wait to do life with you. I love you. What came out of my mouth was, Grace Madeline Perez, I can't wait to do love with you. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I'm still just as embarrassed now, and it's been eight and a half months. Oh, man. So everyone in the audience is doing exactly what you're doing. My groomsmen, who I've known since I was in middle school, are hunched over laughing. The bridesmaids are laughing. I am like, I'm trying to recover and trying to tell people, no, no, what I meant to say and it didn't matter. No one heard that. That day is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. That one imperfection in a perfect day is going to follow me. Why? Because a lot of you were there. <laughs> the youth were there. Again, my buddies... My buddies who I've known since middle school were there, and, and they never let that go. And, and just to add some insurance to that, I have a cousin from California. Her name's Rosa. Uh, Rosa, if you're listening to this later, shout out. Um, she decided to record it and then post it online, so it's on the internet. It's, <laughs> it's, it's never going anywhere. But a perfect day, an imperfect moment, and you know what? It actually made that day kind of sweeter, kind of lowered the stress a bit. That's not the only day we want to go perfect, is it? No. You see, we, we feel like we have this expectation sometimes to be the perfect boss or the perfect employee. Maybe we feel like we have to be the perfect spouse or the perfect parent. Sometimes it feels like we need to be the perfect sibling or, or student and we feel like we always have to have the right things to say. You know, if you've got a friend who's having a problem, we feel like we have to be perfect and know the right answer all the time. That feeling of perfection, of having to be perfect, is something that every single person here in this room has experienced or is experiencing. And it's not just one area of life, is it? No, we don't feel like we just need to be perfect at work or, or perfect at home. No, we feel like we need to be perfect at work, perfect at home, perfect in our relationships, perfect in our friendships, perfect in school, perfect in everything. And that's exhausting, isn't it? When you feel like everything needs to be perfect, it feels like you can't take a breath. It feels heavy. We've got a clip we're going to watch here in a moment. But it's a clip from this movie called Coach Carter. And I think it perfectly describes and shows us what it feels like, what the weight of perfection feels like when we feel like we need to be perfect at everything. Just to give you some context, uh, there's a player, Mr. Cruz, and he decides to quit the team. And then he wants to join. And he says, what do I need to do to join? And Coach Carter tells him exactly what he needs to do to join and pay close attention to the list he gives him. Mr. Cruz, are you lost, sir? What I got to do to play? Mr. Cruz, you do not want to know the answer to that question. Now, as I was saying, as a team, we shot 56% from the line. From now on, before you leave my gym, you must pay an exit price of 50 made free throws before you can go. That's everybody. That's a lot of free throws. Okay, Mr. Cruz. 
Before you can play on this team, you owe me 2,500 push-ups and 1,000 suicides. Damn. Damn. Oh, and they must be completed by Friday. Mm, finishing that by Friday. He ain't making Impossible. His teammates looked at him and said, that's impossible. You're not doing all that in a week. Isn't that how that feels sometimes when we feel like we have to be perfect or perform perfectly in every area of life? It feels that heavy, doesn't it? It feels impossible. And that's the expectation we think we have. But this morning, church, Paul has something different to tell us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up here in verse 1. It says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Another way of putting this and what Paul's saying is that we've, we've been freed from the prison of performance. Jesus freed us from the prison of performance. In other words, we don't have to perform perfectly anymore. God knew that. He knew each and every single one of us was not going to be perfect. And so what did he do? He sent his son, fully God, fully man, to be born, live a perfect life, fulfill every law, die on a cross for us. He that knew no sin became sin in our place and then rise again so that we could spend an eternity with him. He performed perfectly so we don't have to. Isn't that some good news? Amen, right? That's the gospel. You don't longer have that burden anymore. So then let me ask you this. Why does it feel like we still have to be perfect? Why do we still feel like we have to be perfect? Why do we feel like we have to have the perfect look? The perfect relationship. The perfect family. The perfect friendship. The perfect home. Or be the perfect student. Last but not least, why do we feel like we have to have the perfect faith? I took every single one of these pictures off of social media, actually. And they've got thousands of views. What that tells us is when we like one of these, when we view one of these, when we sit there and ponder these, when we aspire to have this kind of life, well, it tells us that we feel like we have to be perfect. We have to be perfect. Now, Paul... Paul actually 
combats this exact idea. We only read the first half of 5.1. Let's look at the second half. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, Paul, the reason he's writing all this is he's writing to the church of Galatia because there's this group called the Judaizers out there. And what the Judaizers are saying is they're saying, yeah, Christ saved you. Christ was perfect. He fulfilled the law. He saved you, but that's not enough because you've got to know Christ, but then you've also got to fulfill every single law that is written. And so what Paul's saying is he's saying, no, no, you're freed from that. And I wish that this verse in Galatians, in Galatians wasn't applicable, it wasn't relevant, but it is more than ever in this day and age. Because while we might not have a group like the Judaizers in the church saying the gospel is Jesus and following the law perfectly, what's happened is we've seen this culture out there that has said, you must be perfect in everything. You must be perfect as a spouse, as a parent, as a child, as a sibling, in school, in sports. You have to have the perfect look, the perfect family. And so what we've done as a church, not just West Bowles, I think church-wide, big church-wide, is we've taken that gospel and gone, yeah, and you have to be perfect in your faith too. It's Jesus saved you, and you need to have the perfect faith, and you need to be the perfect Christian. That's what we bought into. And so parents, adults, I know you all feel or have felt the burden of that, of being perfect. But if you're feeling it, our youth are feeling it so much more. As I was thinking of this sermon and preparing for this and as God was putting this on my heart, I began to think, when I was in high school, the smartest kids were getting like a 4-3. I'm talking, those are like the brilliant kids. Those are the kids that I was like, oh my gosh, you're a genius. Now that's, that's kind of average. Our kids now are, are, are facing kids who are getting 4-5s, 4-6s, 4-7s, 4-8s, when the standard of perfection used to be a 4.0. Now perfect is no longer perfect enough. Not only do they have that pressure, but then they've got this right here. Everything they do or say follows them right here. And so they've got to constantly be perfect because at any given moment, someone could take a picture, post it online, and it's viral for everyone to see. This burden of perfection, church, is destroying our youth, destroying them. I, I read some studies, again, in preparation for this because I wanted to see what's going on I've seen a little bit within our youth group, but I wanted to see what's going on culturally with our kids. And what I read, what I found out, what this idea of perfectionism in every area of life is doing to them broke my heart. And here's why. One study says this, they have pressure to be successful and to put forward their best self, and they have that pressure in school settings, 
They have it in their activities after school, sports, and music, and whatever those are. And they have it on social media. And as adults, we model that too. We only want to put our best selves forward. We don't show our real selves. What we're teaching kids is that they can't show their real selves. They can't make a mistake. They think that when they make a mistake, it's going to follow them forever. When we swoop in, we don't allow them the chance to see that when they make mistakes, they can learn from them and they'll be okay. For many of the kids that we talked to, suicide was higher on their risk of options than admitting that they had failed at something or that they had made a mistake. They would rather die by suicide than make a mistake or failure. That hit me right in the gut. Rather die by suicide than make a mistake or failure. It continues. Suicide has become the leading cause of death for people between the ages of 10 to 24 in Colorado, according to a report by the State Department of Public Health and Environment. The leading cause of death. That used to be car accidents. And now it's suicide. More than 430 children between the ages of 10 and 14 died by suicide in the U.S. in 2016, nearly double the number from a decade ago, according to data from the CDC. More than 5,700 people between the ages of 15 and 24 died by suicide during that same year. That's over 6,000 people between the ages of 10 and 24 in 2016. So this culture of perfectionism is driving some of our kids to suicide because they can't keep up. You see, but it's not just suicide. It's anxiety, it's depression, it's other disorders. Last study I'm going to read follows college students. And what they're trying to figure out is why these students have such elevated levels of anxiety, depression, and other psychotic disorders. And listen to what they found. This finding suggests that recent generations of college students are demanding higher expectations of themselves and attaching more importance to perfection than previous generations. As to why self-oriented perfectionism is rising, we speculated earlier on several cultural shifts that include competitiveness, individualism, meritocracy, and anxious and controlling parental practices that may be promoting perfectionism generally. In other words, there we're finding that kids are expecting perfectionism at a higher level of themselves than any other generation. It keeps going. Perhaps the most important finding from this research is that more recent generations of college students are reporting higher levels of socially prescribed perfectionism than previous generations. This finding suggests that young people are perceiving that their social context is increasingly demanding that others judge them more harshly, and that they're increasingly inclined to display perfection as a means of securing approval. In other words, in order to feel loved and cared for, they feel like they need to be perfect. A few more quotes. 
This finding indicates that more recent generations of college students appear to be imposing more demanding and unrealistic standards on those around them than previous generations. So not only do they feel the need to be perfect here, not only do they feel the need to be perfect because others out there are looking at them, but then they expect that same level of perfection amongst each other. In conclusion, it says... Young people now are facing more competitive environments, more unrealistic expectations, and more anxious and controlling parents than generations before. The culture of perfectionism, of being perfect in everything, is literally killing our kids. Now, not every youth in here okay, is suicidal or anxious or depressed, okay, don't hear me as saying that, but I can almost guarantee that most of our kids know someone who is anxious, who is depressed, who is suicidal, who has committed suicide, or has attempted. It's becoming an epidemic. You see, while, while we're free, while Christ freed us from the, from the prison of performance, we still wear the chains of perfection, don't we? We know in our heads we don't have to perform, but we still feel this need to be perfect. If that wasn't true, this collage wouldn't resonate with us, would it? We wouldn't aspire to be that. But if that's what we expect of ourselves, if that's what culture expects of us, if that's what peers expect of us, if that's what others expect of us, if that's level of perfection, I want to show you guys the level of perfection that Jesus expects of you. It's blank. John, John didn't make a mistake up there. He didn't hit the wrong button. I, I didn't put the wrong picture in there. No. It's there for a reason. Because Christ does not expect us to be perfect. In fact, what he's saying is that perfect church is no longer part of the picture. You no longer have to be perfect. Isn't that relieving? Isn't that a breath of fresh air? You don't have to always be the perfect spouse. You don't always have to be the perfect mother or father. You don't always have to be the perfect child or the perfect sibling or the perfect student. You don't always have to be the perfect friend. You don't have to be perfect in your faith because Christ was perfect for us. It's no longer part of the picture. That's a breath of fresh air. So what's next? What do we do with that? Well, Paul tells us. We're going we're to pick up in Galatians again. Galatians 5, verse 13. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. He's saying, yeah, you're free, but that doesn't mean you can go doing whatever you want. doesn't mean you can go hurting others. He says, rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if we want to break this cycle of perfectionism, if we want to stop this very thing that is eating, I think, all of us, but especially our youth alive, 
Well, we got to love one another. Just as Paul says. That's the command we have to fulfill. Love one another. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I've got a few ways to do that. Okay? First, be vulnerable, be authentic, and be involved. In other words, it's okay to show someone that you don't have it all together. Let people in on that. Don't feel like you always have to put out this projection of perfection. Let people know that life's messy. Church, I'll be the first one to tell you, life's messy. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. Let people see that because when we let others see that, well, then we help free them from the burden of perfectionism. Then they no longer feel like they have to be perfect, like they have to have it all together. So be vulnerable. Be authentic with them. Be involved in their lives. The next one. Learn to grow from failure. Unfortunately, we've, we've too often heard that failure is not acceptable. You can't fail. No. We grow a lot from failure, don't we? If I look back on the times of my life where I've had the most growth, it's been from my failures. In fact, there's this TV show, or not TV show, there's a show on Netflix, and it's called Failures. It's all about people who have failed at something like big and how their life has been better from that failure. And the whole mantra of it, the whole reason behind the show is if we say we learn the most from failures, why don't we study them more? Why don't we look to them more and see what they learned? And so it's okay to fail. Learn from it. Learn from your failure. Next, give each other some grace. Youth, your parents feel the burden of perfectionism for your sake. They want to be good examples. The adults in your life want to be good examples. They want to be someone you can look up to. And so, yeah, they've got a burden of, oh, i got to be perfect for them. So when they mess up, it's not an if, it's a when. Give them some grace. Let them know it's okay. Cut them some slack. Because in doing that, you'll show them they don't have to be perfect. Adults, the next time someone in your life, whether it's a peer or a youth, the next time they make a mistake, give them some grace. Let them know it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay. And you'll help fight that idea of perfectionism. And then last but not least, it's concerning this. What if we use social media for a spirit-filled life and not furthering the culture of perfectionism? What if instead of just posting the perfect pictures and the perfect scenes and the perfect everything, we posted a mess? We posted a a look of reality. Because I think what's going to happen is people are going to see that even in our imperfection, Christ still works in us and through us. He still works in us and through us. And I think what we'll do is we'll begin to change culture at some level if we start doing that, if we start letting people see that. And so, when we live like that, church, when instead of continuing the cycle of being perfect, we combat it, when we truly take the heart that to heart that perfect's no longer part of the picture, 
when we're vulnerable, authentic, and involved, when we learn from our failures, when we give each other grace, when we use our voices for spirit-filled things instead of perfection, when we do that as a community, something powerful happens. Now, that clip we saw earlier, Coach expected something impossible of this guy, right? And there's no way he could have filled this, but something happened. His community rallied, and it's powerful. So take a look at the result. Let's see what happens with Mr. Cruz and what his teammates do. Clyde. Mr. Cruz, I'm impressed with what you've done, but you came up short. You owe me 80 suicides and 500 push-ups. Please leave my gym. I'll do push-ups for him. You said we're a team. One person struggles and we all struggle. One player triumphs, we all triumph, right? I'll do some. I'll run suicides too. That's what it looks like when we as a community rally around each other. Now, I want to leave us with something. We've got the option to fight this cycle of perfectionism, or we can continue it. But Paul tells us what happens if we continue this. Verse 15 says this, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So we've got two options. We can rally around each other. We can remember and take the heart that perfect's no longer part of the picture. We can share that with others, be vulnerable, be involved. We can learn from our failures and help others learn from failures. We can give each other grace. We can use our voice to be spirit-filled instead of furthering perfection. Or we can continue. My prayer, church, is that we rally around each other. That we remember that perfect's no longer part of the picture. And that we love each other in this way. So I'm going to invite the worship band back up here. 
and I'm going to pray. And uh, we're going to spend some time in worship, some time connecting with the Lord. And I pray that in that time, you hear his voice reminding you that you don't have to be perfect anymore because he was perfect for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity for us to get together as a church family, Lord God. Lord, I pray that each and every single person in here remember that you were perfect for us, that we are free. We are free from perfection. That it's no longer part of the picture, Lord. I pray that we feel that today. Lord, and I pray that we help others know that and learn that. I pray that we love them. In Jesus' name, amen.